Grace, mercy, and love be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Love, true love, will follow you forever. I'm usually not a sucker for romantic films, uh, but strangely enough, when asked to preach on the love text for today, this quote from Princess Bride leapt into my head. Love, true love will follow you forever. Well, that's a bit corny when put like that, but when all is said and done, that's really what we want, isn't it? to be followed and surrounded by love in all aspects of our life. I mean, we don't want to be hated, and we surely don't want to hate, but we would rather have peace and love reign all around us. And perhaps that's a good goal for the sermon this morning, that we might be loved and might live love to others. But there's a fundamental problem. A fundamental problem that keeps us from love and keeps us apart from one another. And this morning I want to talk about that problem, the underlying reasons for it, propose a solution, and then conclude with a few comments about what this means for us today. The problem is that ours is an inherently selfish and self-satisfying love. It is, well, it's love. Perhaps you know the story of the Princess Bride. The evil Prince Humperdinck has stolen the beautiful Princess Buttercup. You see, he must be married to be king, and so he forces Buttercup to marry him. At their fake wedding, the priest stands in front with an air of dignity and solemnity and declares, Love, true love, will follow you forever. Well, you see, that love is apparently not all that true, as the evil Prince Humperdinck has already arranged for his beloved bride to be killed and her corpse to be dumped on a rival kingdom's shores so that he might have an excuse to go to war. Love is actually selfish and self-satisfying. Living true love is an awfully elusive goal, even for us as well. As the priest said during the fake wedding, it is a dream within a dream. That is, it is so far from reality that we can barely even dream it. By contrast, the harsh realities of hatred and strife are all around us, aren't they? Just yesterday marked the 12th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks when hatred reared its ugly head and we all saw and felt it. And we also see and feel it much closer to home. For you see, gossip prevails, feelings are hurt, anger breaks out, trust is betrayed, relationships are ruined, sex is misused, bitterness ensues, couples fall out of love, marriages fail, the divorce rate soars, and children are abused and abandoned. And it's not just by them, whoever they might be, but it's also by us. It's also by me. Many years ago, a wise monk and theologian once said, Our love as humans is brought into being by that which pleases it. We love because we are pleased with the thing we love. We love what is lovable. How selfish is that? You see, my friends, we are hardwired to love with a fake love that is selfish 
and self-satisfying. But why? What is the underlying problem or the underlying reason for this corrupted love? Well, I think we love the way that we are loved. Psychologists have noted that when a baby is not allowed to form a secure loving bond with a loving person, the damage can almost be irreversible. A lack of vitamin L, that is, Love, one psychologist comments, can manifest itself in a lifelong struggle with anxiety, depression, addictions, and abuse disorders. The way we are loved affects the way we are able to live love. Despite our best intentions as parents, our love is corrupted by remnants of selfishness and self-satisfaction. It just is. We by ourselves cannot help it. A world of corrupted love can only produce people who live out that same sort of corrupted love. St. Augustine, a famous theologian who lived quite a while ago, pointed out that sinners since the fall, we are incurvatus in se. We are curved in on ourselves. We take the good gifts of God, of which love is, is one of the most important, and we turn it in on ourselves for our own enjoyment. And what is more, we don't even realize it, and we, we have the audacity to call it true love. So what is the solution to this all-pervasive problem of this selfish, self-satisfying love? Well, the solution is simply this. God loved us first. Perhaps an illustration might help. A man lived with his only son. The son was deaf from birth, but he was his father's pride and joy. Every day the man would come home from his working as a switchman at the railway, and his son would run out to greet him, Daddy's home. And the man would reach down and embrace his son and hold him. Well, it happened one Friday morning that the man went to work as usual and took his place at the railway bridge. You see, his job wasn't a hard one, but it was a very important one. It was his responsibility to switch the tracks before the bridge so that the oncoming train would glide safely, safely over the bridge and avoid hurtling into the deep ravine below. The morning went smoothly, but then it happened. The man glanced over, and to his horror, he saw his innocent son walking toward him across the bridge. He waved his arms, and he shouted in a desperate effort to get his son's attention, but all to no avail. And then the blood drained from his face, and his mouth opened in a silent scream, No! For at that moment, his ears picked up the shrieking whistle of an oncoming train. What should he do? No time to do both. Why is this happening? And with a trembling hand and a pitted spirit, he threw the switch and the train thundered safely across the bridge. His beloved son, gone. Now, perhaps the man was God and perhaps the son whom he gave up was Jesus and perhaps you and I are the ones on the train. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. My friends, this is not some sort of fake, selfish, self-satisfying love. Rather, this is true, selfless, self-sacrificing love.
But even this illustration cannot begin to capture the magnitude of how much you and I have been loved. For you see, in this story, the boy is unaware of his plight, but not so in our text. Take a look at it with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God. He chose himself to die for you and to die for me. This is not some sort of fake love. This is not a love bent in on itself. This is not a love of something that is somehow lovable. While we were still sinners, Paul reminds us, Christ chose to die for us. While we were even enemies, Christ chose to reconcile us to the Father. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What was before an elusive dream within a dream has now become a historical reality. It happened. Christ, who was fully human as well as divine, gave himself up of his own free will with a pure, uncontaminated, selfless, self-sacrificing true love for you and for me. As Professor Rosso said on Tuesday, it's a fact, Jack. You can take it to the bank. Now, what does this mean for you and me today? Well, Christ's selfless and self-sacrificing love for us now forms the basis by which we can live love. Not some sort of fake love but a true, selfless, self-sacrificing love. For you see, just as a child that has not been loved cannot really and truly love, so too only a child who has been truly loved can truly love. And we are God's children through the waters of baptism. My friends, this is not just some traditional rite, but it is... God's chosen means by which he creates faith in us and claims us as his own precious child. If by chance you have not had the opportunity to experience this gift of baptism, I urge you, please, please consider it. For through it, all the blessings earned for you by Christ's loving sacrifice on the cross become yours. And one of those blessings is that you become a truly loved child who can now truly live love. But I'm not talking about simply following the example of a loving heavenly father. An example he is, but he is so, so much more than that, my friends. For through baptism, we become a new person. Christ now dwells in us, and he begins his work of transforming us from the inside out. He works through us to accomplish his good will. And his good will, as we have seen on the cross, is a pure, uncontaminated, selfless, self-sacrificing true love that is now ours. Some time ago, a wise monk and theologian once said, Our works of love are not ours, but God's. This monk understood what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. 
You see, you are so cemented to Christ in baptism through faith that he and you are as one person and he will accomplish great works of love through you. And so, my dear children of God, love, true, selfless, self-sacrificing love will follow you forever.